Last time on Video Night. No, that's not that plot at all. What did you find? Control. No, not funny. And now it's our last time on Video If a frog had a wings, it wouldn't bump its ass a hobbit. Okay, thanks for telling me. I, I don't know what the use of that is. It's been used twice in Coen Brothers movies. Two different movies. Uh, one we're going to cover right now, and the other one we aren't. So that one is the uh, Hudsucker Proxy. Um, that's What's the guy's name? You know his name. Who, what, where, when? The actor. Uh, you mean who, Paul Newman? No. Oh. No, no, no. The actor who played the newspaper man, um, the boss. Oh, John Mahoney. The same guy. Yeah, thank you. John Mahoney. I knew that you were a big fan of John Mahoney's. So, uh, yeah, he said the line, and that's, that's where I first recalled it, because I watched that movie over and over. I also watched Raising Arizona over and over, and that was in that. Anyway. Uh, oh, I guess we're talking about... Uh, right, Coen Brothers movies. Yes, and then there's tons to choose from. We just had to choose four, uh, or you'd yeah. be here all day. We did discuss yeah. uh, Hudsucker Proxy, which was our what not Christmas Christmas me movies or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those. And and I, I that was the one where I revealed, oh my god, it is a Christmas movie even after seeing it so many times. And my favorite scene that I never paid attention to because I was looking at Peter Gallagher singing with his handsomeness and everything. I never noticed the Christmas trees in the background until that viewing. So. There. That, anyway. Would you consider that your favorite? Uh, Hudsucker Proxy is probably the most rewatchable, yes. so I guess favorite. Yeah. Because of the zippy dialogue and everything so fast, and, and it's like a, a really cool song that you hear over and over again. It might not be the best one, but it's the one that sticks with you the most, at least for me. It's so uh, funny when so. you think about the Coen Brothers' career is that they usually just did two types of movies and they would just do one and do the other genre. Uh, so they either did like the kind of wackety schmackety, kind of wild and crazy movie, and then like the slower mm-hmm. paced, oh yeah, uh, sometimes period piece film. It's always like crime oriented film. Yeah, and they started that way, but it wasn't a period piece. It was contemporary. It was blood simple. Which is kind of a, a throwback in a way, because it does have a lot of the feel of the old noir films. Yeah. But you and I discussed this when we did our noir film, our noir episode uh, a few months ago. We decided not to do this one because of this episode. Right, but do you feel like this movie kicked off the new era of noir? No, 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 no. Uh, because it came out in 84, right? Um, before that, you had Friedkin's, uh, I think it was Friedkin's, uh, 52 Pickup. No, 52 Pickups, 86. What? Yeah, so this is two years prior. Are you sure? Yes. I know my <laughs> canon direct. <laughs> <laughs> but 52 Pickups is good. And I only saw that recently, too. And I was surprised. I'm, I'm, I'm looking to make sure. Okay. You're right! It just felt like this is like the time... And there's no neon really... Well, is there neon in this? I just feel like this was kind of like yeah, a yeah, new... Yeah, yeah. A, a there's, reboot. There's bar neon. There's there's red-soaked neon bar light and stuff. Because it's not a city movie. It's a Texas movie. Right. Well, there's, there's, there's 70s, the revival, which was all kind of a throwback to the old noir that everybody grew up in. You know, when they're bringing Marvel right. back and stuff like that. And then there was kind of a, a, a slight period where uh, there was a lot of like sexy noir... Um, you might you might actually be right that this is well. Would Night Hunters be? Is Night Hunters the one with the Stallone and Night Hawks? Do you consider Night that? Hawks. I don't consider that a noir. I consider that just a straight up thriller. Well, that's what neo noir is. No, yeah, yeah, yeah but there's a different thriller. aesthetic to it because that feels like almost like, since he's an international terrorist, it almost feels like espionage thriller kind of thing going. Okay, um, okay, okay. Where this is, you know, the the but wait, the of... third the third man going back to Orson Welles. That's an espionage film as well. There's okay. a lot of espionage films back in the 40s and 50s mm. that were also neo that were also film noir, not neo noir, because we made at the time that noir was a thing. Anyway, anyway. 
Sorry. I don't know what just happened. <laughs> I was correct. I was, I was, I was correcting not just myself, but the listener and whatever. I was just <laughs> covering bases. I was covering bases, and I got all high pitched and quiet. Okay. Um, yeah, so I guess thrillers with espionage, like The Jackal. Let's just go way into the future of 1995. The Jackal is not a neo-noir. No. no. That's, that's a thriller, an espionage thriller. Um, I think maybe Vanishing Point might actually have a little bit of neo-noir-ness to it, but only in its uh, confusion and different perspective hold on are we talking about the car racing movie are you talking about the vanishing with jeff bridges and uh no 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 no. uh vantage point excuse me oh okay not vanishing point that's my stupid mouth brain happening (laughs) um so but even then no um so yeah okay maybe this was really the birth of neo-noir in the 80s which is interesting because was it i don't think it was a big hit it just seemed like one of those things that everybody was talking Mm. about kind of like one of those festival underground independent movies that just got around for a while sleeper yeah sleepers are something that i sorely miss wait hold on do you consider what's the the palma movie uh body double do you consider that noir oh blowout okay okay all right all right de palma De Palma is um, the originator of all kinds of films, of every kind of film, the silent film, including uh, Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. He (laughs) pioneered all of those. He made all the film himself by hand. Every every kind of film. He he rescued Star Wars, which is actually not a joke. (laughs) Seriously, he said this? Uh, No, uh, he did write the, The Crawl. For oh, first I did Star not Wars know that. We're getting way which, off topic here, but for me, which was there's a, there's we'll, a, we'll, we'll talk about noir yeah. for a sec. But De Palma, uh, there's a documentary called De Palma on De Palma, and and he talks about how he kind of created and invented everything. Uh, it's a joke where I'm exaggerating, but he is so full of himself and his accolades, it's kind of crazy. So does he yes. not know about the last decade of his career? <laughs> Right, but but blowout, I guess, it would be. Uh, yeah, but but what the Coen Brothers kind of kickstarted was also if it, if it's not the new noir, it's the southern noir, which became like a small trend mm. for a while. You know, I, the it most picked up in the nineties, right? I really think that the their John influence video. over yeah. John Dahl is heavy. Oh yeah, I agree with you, uh, especially this kind of movie, uh, Blood Simple, uh, to uh, uh, a man and a woman fall into a lover's embrace. And then there's backstabbing. He doesn't know if he can uh, trust her, and she doesn't really distrust him. She's actually on board the whole thing, but she needs to get away from her her husband, who is Dan Hedaya and a horrible man. Who looks like a giant he's, big toe? <laughs> it just it's, I, it I looks like my toe. <laughs> Dan Hedaya looks like your toe. Yeah, my big toe. It's a little hairy. It's a little ugly. It's kind of puggy. <laughs> it's my toe talks um, like DHL all the time. <laughs> And M. Emmett Walsh is a private investigator slash uh, villain. Gun for hire, basically. Gun for hire, but he always acts like he ain't going to do the bad job. But he ends up doing all the kinds of bad job. I tell you, dude, every time I want to sit down and watch this movie, I then uh, hesitate and maybe put it off. But when I finally watch it again, this thing is solid and awesome it is it and keeps surprising me i haven't seen it in a while to be fair but it keeps surprising especially me. the expect- score oh my god that score is amazing it's so simple but so just it powerful it's stylish and it's like nothing of its time it's a bit more contemporary to uh now i guess but even now uh you have like kind of boring placeholder score sounding stuff this this score is very unique and it's very interesting and i I find its uh, themes to be more listenable than like an orchestral thing. Yeah. Anyway, what, what's it's... unusual about this movie compared to the rest of the movie is the minimalism. It, it, I don't think Barry Sonnenfeld was with them yet, and it wouldn't have worked for this film anyway. Um, oh, no. That, you know, they, that... Did do, they did do some some stuff that Sonnenfeld would have had a heyday with, like with the, the ceiling fan stuff. They did do that thing. But, um, yeah, I don't... Right. 
the next movie is Sonic Build Heavy. Right. But this one is just bare bones, and it needed to be this way. There doesn't need to be a lot of characters. There doesn't need to be a lot of set design. It's kind of about the desolation of the, of Texas uh, in some places. And there, Texas is so big, and it's very spread out. So little towns are far... Well, I mean, now there's more little towns together, but they're kind of far apart uh, because it's such a big state. So huge. We should um, say this. You do live in Texas, so you know better than I will ever. I've only been there for like one week. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially down here, there's there's the cluster, the RGV, which is like three three major cities that aren't really major at all. And then little pockets of t- small towns. And then it gets like wasteland for a while. And then you approach... Um, San Antonio, which is nice, but between that and here, there's like tumbleweeds and brush. Right. You know what's interesting about the cast is it seems like everybody got a lot of work immediately after this, except, except for John Getz. Well, no, John Getz did The Fly, and he was in Men at Work and stuff like that. He still got work, but I don't recall anything that Francis McDormand did between this and that small role in Raising Arizona, and then there's a big gap again until Darkman. What's that about? Uh, by the way, it's a boat. By the way, a by boat. Way, a boat. What's it about? Cana- Canadians okay. don't say boot. I want to get it right. Boat. They say boat. Um, I know Canadians, and we struggle with this a lot, and uh, <laughs> they'll deny it. I do not say a boat, uh, and then they say, "Did you hear what we were talking about?" So, <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I find it impossible. It's not Canadian, but it's Wisconsin. I find it impossible to say oh, the word cardboard right. correctly. It's. Uh, I find myself at work going, "Hey, can I have that cardboard? Cardboard. Card. It's fucking. It's Card- just bears. Cardboard. Card- cardboard. <laughs> yeah, I-, I love accents. I love uh, phrasing. So, okay, so Frances McDormand. I don't know when she married uh, into the Cohen family. I don't know. Yeah. But she's married to Joel, maybe. Nah, I don't know. They're one unit. They all want the Cohen's all one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she married in, so she probably didn't really need to. I don't know. Oh, or good. maybe she was doing theater. That okay? There you go. That's probably the answer because it feels like all three of these guys became like the go-to heels and all in, in for like the next decade in all these movies. And she just I didn't see her that much. But yeah, uh, I really like John, John Getz. I do. I really like him. He never really had much of a career. Yeah, he's charming and enough and, like, suspicious of everything going on around him in this film. And yet his career, he's gone on to be, like, the businessman heel. Yeah, once he started greasing back really his hair. Strange. Like, for me, forever, I, I love The Fly and I love this movie, but forever he will be the villain uh, in Men at Work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the first movie I, I noticed him in. Um, but, like, my point is that that's what his roles ended up being. Is that from this leading man neo noir guy? It's just strange. Have you seen the director's cut of this? Is it any better? Uh, whatever the Criterion edition. No, no, I didn't see the Criterion. No, I did watch the Criterion edition. It's on HBO Max. Okay. Yeah, whatever that is. It's I don't know if there's a direct. It's director approved. Is all I know. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I have trouble with director's cuts because. Uh, it's sometimes they're self-indulgent. This whole Justice League thing is giving me a migraine. <laughs> uh, it's gonna it's gonna be broken up into a series, and I'll tell you on Netflix when Tarantino did that with Hateful Eight, he benefited the show. At did all. it? Okay. It was, it was, it was, it was Are we five ever gonna episodes. Get... <laughs> I want Kill Bill completed. <laughs> oh right, I, I want that definitely. But it's five episodes of Hateful Eight, and it totally benefited the movie. Okay. Whereas the first time I saw the movie, I, I kind of halfway through it, the last half I hated it. And then, you know, I watched the, the five eps, and I was like, oh, that's way better. Well, it just seems like that's so. the format now. Even the Coen brothers have gone over to Netflix to tell their stories. And that might be the way it is for guys who have a very unique voice that you're not guaranteeing a $100 million minimum box office. And the Coen brothers always have, like, a big up and down. Uh, up and down, yes. They're, I don't – oh, brother, where aren't thou? Huge hit. Yeah. Well, their Enormous. next one is the hit that saved them for a long time. A long time. Because yeah. they had dud after dud after dud, even though they were critically acclaimed. They just didn't make money until Fargo. So the next one, which made their career, is Raising Arizona. Yeah. So I, I was in California at the time as a kid. Raising Arizona is 1986, 87. What is it? 
87. Summer of 87, 87, I believe. Late summer. So I remember seeing the um, David Sheehan, I, I think, in Southern California, a film critic just talked about it and showed a couple of cl- wacky clips of uh, probably the fight with the biker. And I was just like, I, I need to see this. Yeah. This is, and, but why does a kid, a child, me, a child, in my tweens, why does a kid really want to see a movie about a, a barren couple kidnapping a baby? I don't know. Like, I why, remember why is that so appealing to me? This but was, I saw the review of this on uh, Siskel and Ebert, and it's when I first started like getting like, oh, I want to see what other people think of movies instead of just with my own taste, and oh, seeing right. bits and pieces of this, and I was like, this is wild, and they were. Yeah. Uh, just a, a couple years younger than me, so yeah. Like, why are two kids being like, let's let's look, let's find this movie? Right. I, I mean, I didn't get to see it in theaters. We went and saw. I can't remember. What we, I think we saw Masters of the Universe instead. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, we went. We rented this, and my whole family just absolutely loved it. But me and Mindy, it just seemed like something clicked in our heads. Mindy's my sister, everybody, um, who's been a guest on the show a few times. Uh, we just kept thinking about like it's so different. It has a unique vision. It has a, just a, a, a new flavor that you know came out of the '80s that the mainstream films had not embraced yet. You called it, and it's not really this, but you called it a long time ago. The aesthetic cow punk. No, right? Yeah. Um, it's not completely cow punk, but it has a similar. It's like cow punk adjacent. Yeah, what we also so, call like trailer trash, uh, like they, they, you know, well, they're not trailer trash, but they're just embracing people who lived on the fringe. Like, what's that? The vagrant that had that moment. Yes, uh, the vagrant had the moment. Uh, even even um, dudes had that. Yeah, it's the, it. the kitsch. Dudes was def- it's kind of a kitsch yeah. mix with uh, modern age. Right. So it, this does have the '80s. It's also contemporary. It's set in the '80s, and it feels like probably two years before so it probably feels like 85 visually to me i drove across country from jfk airport in in new york city to california and i got to see the west the american west and driving through those states you know to get to california that kind of shaped me me experientially um as far as my enjoyment of road trips the southern west is the only kind of road trip that I really like. And it's the sunsets, it's the mountains, it's it's the desert escape. So this is Raising Arizona, set in Arizona. Yeah, um, it has some of that scenery. It says, it's not a very scenic film, but it just has the vibe. So of my appreciation there. And that was not too far from when I moved. So that was 85, so then it came out in 87, so yeah. And it's it's so funny the difference between the movies and um, you know because there's kind of a subtlety there, there's a there's a lot of dark humor in Blood Simple if you look at it right. Um, oh no, it's a very funny movie. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but what what happened in yeah. between is I don't think anybody ever talks about it, is the fact that they worked with Sam Raimi on Crime Wave, and I'm hard pressed not to say there is influence. Either the Coen Brothers had a say in how that was filmed, Crime Wave, or they mm-hmm. took influence from Sam Raimi because there is an energy. In this movie. Well, they're all buddies, right? Yeah, it's so. just it's so wild. I feel like they just worked together on both of those to give it a vision that had never been presented before. And to skip over to Hudsucker Proxy in 95, yeah, yeah. They're, they're all in that. Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi are in that movie. Bruce right. Campbell's in two scenes. Uh, he's one of the silhouettes with Sam Raimi. The hoop swinger. Fellas. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. And Bruce Campbell is another character named Schmitty. Uh, anyway, so so yeah, they're all buddies. And yes, yes, the camera is a character, and this is where Barry Sonnenfeld shines. Yes. Oh, and the fact this that is... they they've said that uh, essentially Nicolas Cage was Wiley e. Coyote through this whole movie. Just I see it, I, and just the brutal beatings that he takes in the cartoons. You see, uh, High taking this. Uh, also. He has a Roadrunner tattoo, just like Ty Cobb, or what is it? What's not Ty Cobb? What's his name? No, that sounds right, right? No, Ty Cobb is a baseball player, I think. Yeah, what are we talking about? The the biker. 
The bike oh, doesn't... right. Uh, Random, Random Text Cobb. Text Cobb. There you go. I got the T right in the last Dude, one. did you know he was a martial artist? Like, he, like, professional. And he was, like, a boxer. No. And he took no. dancing. So you see, have you ever seen Uncommon Valor? Uh, I know of it. There is a grace in his movements. And he does a whole dance at the end of the movie. And you watch it in this, and it's just, he's such a big... I don't want to say ugly, but there's just, well, this movie they make him ugly. Well, yeah, something... they make him ugly. But I'll tell you this: uh, the stuffed up nose thing going on, how he speaks, drives me crazy in this movie. Does he, he really like, speaks? Does he kind like of seem like Yosemite Sam? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but he also has a Roadrunner tattoo in this movie, and that's how, at like the big reveal when when the hand grenade goes off, he recognizes the tattoo. Oh, the right, right, yeah. And he's like, oh, brother? <laughs> like, kind of like that? Like, long-lost kin or something? Uh-huh. Not that they are. There's no hint at all that they're they're related. But they have the same tattoo. And yeah. they're like, huh? And then he blows up. Well, I just love the fact it's so crazy and so wild. Especially the stuff with John Goodman and uh, uh, Forsyth. Uh, Forsyth. With yeah. it, William Forsyth. William. They're, they're yeah. so, like... Um, you know, loud mouse, uh, quiet mouse. You know, but I talk like this all the time. I love this little baby. William man. Forsyth has never been stupider uh-huh. and cute at the same time. <laughs> but then there's in this any epic. other role. He's the, kind of well. Do you remember John Doe? The you TV the singer show? from X. The TV show John Doe. Oh yes, yes I do. Yeah. Uh, Forsyth was in there, and he he played a good guy for once. <laughs> he played a nice person for once really like he got on his side and like that's a nice calm yeah well you've seen cloak and dagger Forsyth. he's in that he's really nice i don't i don't remember that <gasps> part i haven't seen it in a long time okay. but but um william Forsyth in this is just also kind of nice but he's a bad guy and he's he's just led astray i suppose by by uh, John Goodman's character, yeah. Very well, do they all, they all, in a way, kind of remind me of characters from Looney Tunes? You know, uh, John Goodman feels like a psychotic foghorn leghorn. You know, and, uh, and uh, Forsyth Forf- is the the um, nope, what nope, is he? Nope, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope, 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 the, the little vulture. ostrich guy, <laughs> vulture. He's a vulture. vulture. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, I, I was getting there when you when you were. Yeah, Sam okay. McMurray is Peppy Le Pew. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I can't imagine. He says that him and his wife are swingers, and he's like, "Hey, I'd like to." So I was like, "I'm looking at Sam McMurray going, I do. Uh, <laughs> if I was a woman, I would not want that face coming at me." Oh. Tip, tip. You gotta get that tip, tip. <laughs> so, so Francis McDormand has a stealing scene in this as the wife of who you were just talking about—the guy who wants to swap wives with. Yeah, that's also another thing that little you know, a twelve-year-old boy can totally understand. You stay away from my wife. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, twelve-year-old. Sure, I can get it. Right? You got it. Right? I don't know what this is about. <laughs> Whatever. It's funny. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they, the 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 Nathan Arizona. That's the guy who said if a frog had wings, wouldn't bump its ass. God, what it. is his name? Troy. He died really young. He did this in Bull Durham, and I feel like that was it. Maybe maybe he was in Blaze, but. Uh, I really like his performance. It's so energetic. It's great. LB constantly um, quotes that. He's got Yoda's and shit on. <laughs> that might be my favorite line. <laughs> like, because of all the Star Wars hoopla that's coming up so much lately, every once in a while, Star Wars, Yoda, whatever, this and that, LB will pop up with the phrase, and it's great. It's great. Well, you know what's funny is it didn't come out yet, but when I also think of the baby scene with Nicolas Cage is Roger Rabbit trying to corral that baby. There's mm. such a, a, a goofy, fun level to this. And when I was, I wonder if they saw Raising Arizona. And I don't know. They really have to, to do have to see it early because the animation takes so long. Yeah. Still, could could have been influenced because Possibly. those animations were shorts. True, and they might have played Raising Arizona at some festivals first. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Who knows? Or Insider. Insider. True, true, anyway. true. Um, so, yeah. I mean, just Spielberg and Zemeckis, awesome. they probably heard about everything beforehand. The yeah, Back to the Future reference um, time machines and stuff, right? Or were you not being clever? I don't. I wasn't were trying you? to be clever. I'm, I'm kind of dumb. You know I'm the dumb one of the group. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> the group. No, 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 How no. many? How many of the group? 
the huh? group. There's just two of us. No, uh, there's more than two now. Um, hey, the ending of this makes this movie a Christmas movie. Oh, well, how, you count the whole... If it has a... Well, hold on a second. I'm about to argue that also, five minutes ago. No, also, but, thanks. Hold on. I was about to argue that a small right? segment doesn't make it a Christmas movie, but yes, I'm does. the person who argues Better Off Dead as a Christmas movie, even though there's only five minutes set of Christmas, so I'm going to shut up. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a Christmas movie. It makes it a Christmas, not Christmas movie. Because it's it's just a moment, and it is significant there because it's a family gathering, but it's also just like the last 30 seconds of the movie. So, yeah, anyway... I, I really love this movie. It's great. Um, and I love the tone of that ending, too. Yes. Oh, really God, hopeful. do I love it. It's weird how that is the one thing that kind of separates it. There's a peacefulness to it. It's almost... Right? This sounds weird. Hopeful. To me, when I watch the end of that, I think of... What is it? True Stories? Uh, the one with the, yeah. uh, Goodman yeah. and the, the, the David Byrne movie. The yes. I feel like that is this peaceful... After all the insanity, they found peace in his mind. Oh, about yeah. what could happen. Yeah. It, it almost it, turns it into has, his own... You're saying it has a tone of... of folklore. Truth. Like almost fantasy folklore kind of thing where it's all imagination land. Uh, the music that's going over the ending as well, yes, I can see why you'd be reminded of True uh, true Stories. Sorry, True Lies is a Well, I can see the end of True Romance as well <laughs> when they're on the <laughs> Yeah, so, so yeah, Raising Arizona. I, I love it. So I love both of these movies so far. Yes. Um, this is where... Okay, Barton Fink, this is the first time I've watched this. We get Miller's Crossing, I think is great, but I, I never revisit yeah. it because it's not fun. It's good, I mean, it's, but it's not cool. It's yeah. got some cool stuff, but it's their Godfather-type movie. And yeah. For some reason, I held off on watching that. Barton Fink. You've been telling me for a decade. Yeah. Now, this show's yeah. only been going for six years, but I've known you for a decade now. Did you know that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, Wow, okay. Yeah, maybe more. I can't remember. It was, uh, mm. um, yeah, I, I can't remember. But um, you've been telling me to watch Barton Fink for a very Barton long Fink. time. and it kept... Very good. Huh? Very good movie. Very yeah. good. It's, I don't know so, why. I just felt like this and um, what's the Cronenberg movie? Um, Peter Weller. Uh, uh, oh, Naked Lunch. I feel like some of these and those two have been on my peripheral forever and I've just never got around to seeing them because when you describe it to me, it sounds boring. And oh, but yeah. I know they're not. I'm, I'm going to watch Naked Lunch. Okay, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> okay. There's so much Cronenberg um, I have never seen. All right. Well, they have a similar color palette too, so that might have uh, put you off. Yeah. Of both. Um, they're kind of browns, uh, amber, brown, green. Yeah. Color but, palette. But now the story this movie, is I saw actually. It in the theater. Oh, oh, you did? Wow. How old were yeah, you? Yeah. Hold on. I, I saw it with my friend. Uh, so this came out in '93, right? So '91. No, wait, 91, really? Yeah. Seems like kind of young for you. Oh, wow. I, I went with my friend Marty, and I talked him into it, and he did not like it. He was bored. I can like see that. Said. I don't think I was ready for this movie until now. Yeah, well, I, then then when Hudsucker Proxy came out, I talked him into seeing that with me, and he's like, I don't want to. And I was like, come on, dude. It's Raising Arizona people. It's a Barton Fink people. He's like, Barton Fink was boring. Like, <laughs> raising your, come on, let's just do it. So I talked him into doing it, and he was not upset that he watched Hud Sucker Proxy. Yeah. Well, just here's the, the thing. It's, uh, yeah. oh, it, it's a pullback, I think. It's, it's closer, I believe, to the subtlety of Blood Simple. The complications are there, but the setting, the, the simplicity of what they're trying to tell you is just Now a, it's a period piece. Yeah, it's now just it's a guy... Period trying to write a story about wrestling he doesn't give this is a real genre by the way because i've never heard of a wrestling movie genre back then uh i kind of think that it is a real genre but it's like it was like very short-lived was it like with tor johnson they, in any of them <laughs> i think that they um twisted it to make it their own Myth mythological Hollywood. Right. If you had Capital Pictures is the movie company that hires him as a screenwriter, and that'll come into play later too. But um, he has written a, a play about fishmongers, and he thinks it might be the very best thing that he's ever done. And Barton is John Turturro, and he is 
Jack, not John Turturro, but Barton is the most pretentious character in film. Yeah. Is he um, supposed to be one of the Coen brothers? Is that what we're trying to uh, see in this? No, I don't think so. But, I mean, I, I've never looked at it that way. It could be an avatar. Well, no, it is actually in, in the sense that Barton Fink came out of their writer's block. That's what I was saying, because I thought that they got hired to do some studio film that they didn't really care about, but they offered him a bunch of money and they could not ride it, and, and Barton Fink came out of that frustration. I didn't know that much. But I, I, I no, know, I might be making that up. Um, it's hard. I do know <laughs> that it did, like, we have writer's block. What, what about this character who has writer, writer's block? And then the story started happening. And John Goodman is a salesperson who, door-to-door salesperson, who is also possibly a serial killer. He's like the worst version of uh, John Candy's character from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles because he's so overbearing and needy. And he's nice. And he is charming. But also, there's a you. They shoot it in such a way, and he performs it in such a way in which you cannot trust him at all. And then, at the same time, you're like, "But maybe in real life, I would trust him because he's he's charming," you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this movie um, also has John Mahoney in it as a writer who has writer's block but is drowning his sorrows in alcohol. Also has, he is a loony. <laughs> yeah, it also has as his, uh, um, not wife, mistress and secretary, Judy Davis, who was in the aforementioned Naked Lunch. So there's another poll for you, I guess, if you like yeah. her. So, um, yeah, Barton is trying to uh, bond with her, maybe. It's not necessarily intended, but it just happens. Well, it's on desperation. He just, he needs, why is he so fixated on him? Yes, he was a great writer, but there's other writers you can work with, but he's so fixated on him saving this Well, he wrote, he he wrote so many, so many great books, etc., but it ended up being that she wrote most of them, the bulk of them, in editing while he was sloshed on, on booze because Ugh. he only wrote really one good book. It sounds yeah. like he's a, a avatar for Kerouac because Kerouac was notorious for On the Road, but everything else I heard that you know was just patched together by editors because it was just a uh, mess. Interesting. Yeah, that kind of thing anyway. But um, yeah, so uh, death, death. You hear in the, the room... Next door, you hear some sexy moaning stuff at a certain point. Right? John Goodman? Right, yeah, yeah. And then... Uh, and then nothing. So you don't hear or, or know of anything else. But then Barton has a moment like that and wakes up next to a corpse. <laughs> that's when... The, I mean, the movie's already starting to get on the verge of insanity. And then it's, that's when it breaks out. You... You're never sure if he loses his mind and he imagines all this, or he did this, or who did. You know, it's just that's the movie just really kicks in a high gear. Well, I do like. I mean, you're kind of making it sound like fever or something like that, where it's like, is it all in his mind? He has he has insomnia, and is it is it a waking nightmare? Yeah, it's not. As, no, it's not. Not, it's like, not like fever. That. Wow, the fact you brought it's that a... up shocks me. That I didn't think you remember that movie. <laughs> it's a bit more uh, grounded and real. There are cops that come after. And then they actually find they're they're looking for John Goodman's character, but they think that maybe Barton might be the uh, the sidekick. Um, and and those cops, uh, one of the cops, you know, both of them, right? I can't even remember him now, but I'm sure I did. One of the cops, the taller one, we've seen him tons of times, but the shorter one is the villain in The Last Dragon. Oh my god, you mean the record executive guy who's trying to make his wife yes. like a Cindy Oh, wow. See, I just watched yeah. that movie for the first time, and I was like, oh, I don't, I I don't remember Shonoff being in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not him. There are two villains. Shonoff was actually hired by him to beat up uh, The Last Dragon. So, anyway, yeah, yeah, that's just a little bit of trivia that I always like, because I like seeing, I like that actor, and I like seeing him doing other things than just be uh, the villain in one of my favorite movies as a kid, you know. 
Can I we talk about the comb-overs? What's up with the comb-overs? They're ridiculous. John Polito's comb-over is a stuff of nightmares. Oh, wait. I know who you're talking about. You're talking about Chris, uh, Richard Port now. He's like one of those always like uh, tough. Yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah. That's the ca- Another guy with like he, kind he of a plays it perfectly in this too. Like he plays the, the hard-boiled cop perfectly. Yeah. Hmm. Comb-overs, you're saying? Comb-overs are so disgusting, and I don't understand why it's still a thing. Uh, most of the clientele where I work have comb-overs that are just... Fuck, this is ridiculous. But, I, will, I, but I look at John Polito's uh, comb-over, and I'm like, this is where it all started, the 40s. Yeah. Maybe the 30s. Um, the uh, Michael Lerner is the movie exec. Oh, um, my God. Is this his first breakout thing? I don't remember anything before. This. He was in a movie called Anguish in 87. Oh, yeah. That was a tiny, that was, tiny horror movie. But it's well... It's well I don't know. Yeah, but is that well what got known, him work, or is this what got him yeah. work? I think this is the. Th- I think that's the thing that put him on the map as far as being a lead, but he was never a lead anymore uh, after that movie. So he became like ensemble guy. Yeah, I'm looking at here. He after this he did uh, Newsies and Blank Check, No Escape, Radioland Murders. So yeah, he started getting a lot more work after that. Of course, uh, Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> right as Ebert, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, Shaloub is this this is also another like this is a I can't believe it took so long for Shaloub to break out because I think his performance in this is absolutely amazing but I don't think he even got anything until uh, what Wings a couple years later yeah probably yeah yeah actually yes maybe he was another one of those stage guys I'm gonna look at his what he did before go ahead yeah I see the thing about that's that's weird about actors um, if I was an actor I would only want to do the things that I would want to do. I wouldn't want to take a TV job like Wings, even though I did appreciate Wings as far as a sitcom goes. That you can uh, take and be proud of, even though I hate sitcoms. Yeah. Uh, no, he actually did a bunch of movies. I can't believe I didn't realize this. He's in Honeymoon in Vegas, Searching for Bobby Fischer, Adam's Family Values, IQ. So, yeah, he was still doing movies while doing the show. Oh, okay. See, but he had the steady, consistent show in these these. Uh, the roles that he took in movies are probably mostly bit parts or yeah during hiatus down, yeah downtime hiatus yeah yeah so anyway yeah the movie's packed it's got Steve Buscemi as Chet Chet the busboy <laughs> or, or the the bellhop I should say yeah but yeah um, yeah he's um, that's an early role for him he had already done smaller movies yeah like Tales that. of the Dark Side he, I think was his yeah, first studio he, he had been working indie since the since 85 at least so yeah so this movie yeah. wasn't a big hit but you can see there's a lot of like studio guys looking at who's in this movie and how can we cast in the next thing now would you consider it a horror movie oh god almost it's borderline it's it's a it's a dark thriller for sure it, there's elements in this that are horror especially the ending where you know, John Goodman is basically like a, a like a, if he was a serial killer movie, he's like the Jason style character, but he, you know, more talkative, of course. But <laughs> he has no man. Well, you know, you think about all those like oh, Savage Giant Man and all those slasher films during that era, and it has a bit of that flavor. It just looks gorgeous, and it's a, it's in the past. He's walking down the hallway with a double barrel shotgun, and the flames are following him. He set the fire in the hotel and. I assume he set the fire. Maybe the fire just follows him because it's he's kind of a mythical monster. As right, yeah, time. yeah. Yes, Hell so follows we, him. Hell right. follows him. At this point where... Uh, oh, I gotta say, the wallpaper peeling off the wall is some of the sickest stuff I've ever seen. Yeah, in it's movie. pretty gross, yeah. Because the glue is so drippy, and I'm like, how would it... How is it even possible that it stays up? And why is it dripping? That can't yeah, even yeah. be glue. That's just that that uh, protein well, uh, is, slime is that, su- that they use. But in is movies. that supposed to be a metaphor for his mind slowly starting to you know peel away, and he's trying desperately to hold it together? Hmm. You're looking at themes, sir. That's quite possible. Quite possible. Again, I'm still the dumb one. Don't give me any credit. Ah, no, no, you, you're growing <laughs> up. You're growing up. Um. Yeah, so I, I do like Barton Fink. Um, it is a slower and quieter of them, but I really do like Barton Fink, and I'm glad that it sounds like you like Barton Fink. I did. The dialogue is what really saves it, but that end, holy schmoly's. Okay. Now, 
We're at what? Number four? Yeah, the one I can't remember, even though I've seen it three times. It's All right, so. Big. This movie it's almost too big. It's a sequel to Barton Fink. It's a sequel to Barton Fink. It is? How? How did I miss this? Capital Same studio? Pictures. Yes. Okay. They even. Uh, what's the wrestler's name? They even have the. Whatever the wrestler's name screening room. Hey. What is your wrestler name? If you're in one of these movies, what who what do you, what are you calling your wrestler? Oh, uh, I, 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 I can't answer just yet. Okay. I have to save it. I have to go through Andrew B. No, Andrew B. from the Galaxy was my rapper name, or MCAB. Mine's MCMC because I'm so clever. <laughs> That's really funny though. I was gonna go with Mick Gr- <laughs> MC Griddle, but I figured McDonald's was gonna sue me. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's the only stuff that I've ever thought of as far as wrestler name goes. I am 6'4". Okay, let's break it down. I'm 6'4". I'm like 240 maybe. So uh, I might be... Am I almost 100 pounds less than size, you? Seriously? Size 13? I, I'm a giant. Wow. <laughs> I, I've only now recently come into grips with how enormous I am. I am a very big man now. Um, and like, uh, 10 years ago I was, no, let's say, uh, 13 years ago I was a skinny boy man. Uh, then I got a job painting houses, lifting five gallon buckets all the time. And by the end of that year, I was a man. I'm a man. <laughs> this is my new man voice. I had shoulders and everything, even though I was well into my thirties. Uh, so are you a hero or are you a heel? Oh, I'm always a hero. I'm hero. always the good guy. Because I was going to call you Andrew, but... <laughs> Andrew. It could be and R-U-L-E. <laughs> or uh, Armageddon Bardrod. Uh, no, the big friendly giant. Probably something stupid oh, like oh, that. Oh, oh, I'm going to go with... I'm going to be a heel, and I'm going to be Knuckles Magoo. Knuckles Magoo. I think I'm tough, but I'm so clumsy that I screw it up every time. Okay. Uh, the other thing is, I also don't like wrestling. No, um, I don't like wrestling either. I can't believe oh, I agreed I to a wrestling show and I have been putting it off and finding excuses. <laughs> and at some point, I have to say no. I actually don't like wrestling. I don't know why I, I said I, yes. I just like the guy the, that I was going to do the show with so much. Also named Andrew Andrews. That's what they, that it is. They, they they sucker me into things I don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> For six years. <laughs> um... um <laughs> Uh, okay, so this movie, uh, Hail Caesar. So I, th- I saw Hail Caesar twice, and I didn't like it the first time. I was just like, it's kind of a... Well, I liked it okay, right? It's a kitchen sink movie, and that's my problem. It's, it's a good it's a good uh, style-wise, Coen brothers know how to make a movie movie. But um, then Tyler Troutman, this guy, I did some work for him um on this uh, app project that never went anywhere called on tour now and he had a band called glenn and the sunshine gang and glenn is a character that he played in the band okay so think think aquabat style oh okay I'm listening more now. more synth rock synth heavy rock and roll um and they're called glenn and the sunshine gang i did some artwork for him and he and i are pals on twitter and he said something about Hail Caesar, and I said, I didn't. I said the thing. I didn't like it the first time I saw it because it just kind of seemed incomplete. And he's like, ah, watch it again, but think of it as a day in the life of movie. Oh. Okay. Because okay. it is. Because right? the story it's, isn't finished and it didn't begin either. It's just you right. in the middle. Yes. And all the stuff that they reference also made made me go back and watch Singing in the Rain. Okay. And I... I, I was I thinking more you, Anchors dude, Away, but... Well, I, I don't... I don't know... You don't like musicals, and I don't like you're, musicals. you're dead inside. <laughs> well, well, wait, wait. I'm giving you a musical that I do like. I really like Singing in the Rain. Oh, okay. After I rewatched it, and I noticed, not just in this, but in, like, Big Lebowski and other things, Coen Brothers like to pull from Singing in the Rain, and that type of Bub's Bugs B. Berkeley type of musical with big extravagant uh, choreography and, and symmetry going on and all this stuff. And so when they did the the musical number in this movie with all the sailors, also 
you can tell that it's not period accurate because that scene is incredibly gay. Do you remember it? I, I remember the dance scene, but I didn't remember the the if there's an underlying metaphor. There's a lot of uh, well, you know the whole gag about uh, it's it's just a cultural thing about sailors on boats. You know, there's yeah, a bunch okay. of sweaty men on boats, hot bunking it. Hold on, is... I'm listening. Keep talking. <laughs> hot bunking is when. Uh, a man sleeps on a bunk, and then another man uh, is working, and then that working man has to go to sleep, wakes up the other guy. That guy goes, and he sleeps in that guy's hot bunk because he kept it warm. It's called hot bunking. But uh, the whole thing about uh, sailors being gay, you know? So all these sailors come to shore, and in this scene in this musical that they're shooting is, uh, is what's the guy's name? Uh, Channing Tatum. Or as I accidentally say all the time, Tanning Chatum. <laughs> uh, back when I was a jerk about him, because he's done some decent work, uh, back when I was a jerk about him, I'd call him Channing Dum Dum. I'm, I'm not exactly proud of yeah. calling him that, but I am proud of the joke. You get what I'm saying? There's totally, two different... yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so Channing Tatum is the lead in this scene and he's actually a dancer in real life. So that's why they hired him to do this. Cause he can do both say the lines and dance. And by the end of the scene, he is, uh, wedged between two dudes, butts, <laughs> and they're smushing on him and he's standing there and his, his pelvis is where their butts are. And he's just kind of like, get me out of here. You don't remember that scene. I remember the dancing. I'm sorry. This movie is a mess to me, and I really want to like it. There's so much that I want to mm. like, but I just keep going, oh, okay. it's cameo of the, the movie. <laughs> oh, all right. No, you're right there, too. It's so stuffed. Um, you know what it feels like to me? This sounds... It's not going to make sense when I say it out loud, but it feels a lot like it's a mad, 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 mad world where it's just like, who's mm. going to show up in this five-minute sequence? Oh, here we go to the next thing. And well, like Spencer Tracy, Josh Brolin is holding the whole thing together, but there is a better thread line in this. But I, I get lost... Once they start revealing the whole, what happened to George Clooney? You know, where where is he at? And, oh, uh, and okay. For some reason, okay. I just so lose it's, interest. It's uh, it's the uh, communist era, right? Uh, yeah. The McCarthyist era, and so it is past Barton Fink. That's why there is a screening room named after the wrestler. Barton Fink has been there, but he's no longer a character in in uh, Capitol Pictures uh, screenwriting. Because he's not in that scene, and he's not a communist. You would think that he might be a communist and that he would be in that scene. But the communists kidnap the uh, star of a Christian Bible epic, uh, um, uh, like the movie The Robe or Barabbas. Right, yeah. um, so uh, he, was it George Clooney gets kidnapped, but they, he's just on a bender, and they just find him drunk, and then they just lock him in this rich guy's house for a while. And then they end up having a conversation about communism and schooling him and teaching him about communism. Now, James Brolin, who we haven't even mentioned yet, is a producer slash fixer. He is Ray Donovan of this old studio. Right. So he will talk to certain members of the press. Tilda Swinton plays two twin sisters who uh, are opposite each other on two different uh, newspapers who are tabloid rags that want to break news stories about so-and-so being gay or that person being this or that. And in the meantime, he has to deal with, you know, like, hold off on that story. I'll give you a better uh, piece of gold tomorrow. You hold off on that story. I'll get, he's got to wrangle that stuff. Yeah. And then he's got to find the actor. And then he's got to get this other, you know, dumb cowboy actor to do a job. (laughs) Boy, he is, that is the worst accent, and he is so poorly cast. <laughs> well, no, I y'all. Love huh? I love that scene. That scene's amazing. Yeah, it is, but it's, the fact that they keep. very funny. Yeah, they keep stubbornly sticking to this kid who they know. Well, that's the studio system, though, back then, is that they had yeah. to keep, like, these actors active. Cowboy. And, yeah, and testing them in new stuff. And, it, yeah, that's so how you end up with John Wayne in a Genghis Khan movie. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. That's true. So he was a stuntman. Slash singing cowboy. And he can do both well. And then, um, actually, his scenes, I think, are, are all really good. Um, that's the uh, solo, Han Solo. Alden Ehrenreich? Yeah, there you go. 
Alden. I like that kid. He got the short letters. shift. I, I re, uh, short shrift. I really like Solo. Yeah. Uh, so mm, I don't hate it. But I love him. Go. Okay. Okay. You love him. I, I do. Um, I love him. We're gonna is get this married. official a yes. declaration? Yes. Uh, Alden. He loves you. Yes. I'm gonna tattoo okay, it on so my butt. <laughs> when the studio also does this thing, but they didn't do this for nefarious reasons here. Most of the time they do it for nefarious reasons. They take a starlet and they take an actor and then they put them together in a public setting because the actor is gay or the starlet is a lesbian or something like this. So they make them date in public because that's taboo and you can't have either of them having that kind of sexuality. It has to be hetero. So, I found it interesting that they had the Latina actress and the singing cowboy date, but for no no nefarious reason. They just said, like, they got to go on a date, and they hit it off, and it's adorable. It's really cute. She's cute, he's cute, and they're charming together, and it's just a moment. So this movie to you is too many little moments and not enough through line. I want more of Josh Brolin, but now that you tell me it's a day in the life and thinking about yeah, a fixer at a studio, yeah. that it is chaos. That there's, you know, there, it there... is him juggling. Right. So That's George Clooney movie. is almost the backline then, and everything else. Like he's on the main goal, but he has to yes. take all these little things on while he's on yes. the way to his destination. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. So Clooney is there um, because of the commies, and the commies have. Uh, a payoff that they did as well to Channing Tatum's uh, commie infiltrator of Hollywood. Did you know, you might have known, that the silhouette on the submarine who stands up is Dolph Lundgren? Oh, yes. I was looking for him. I saw it on his IMDb, and I'm like, oh, okay. And I, I really thought he was going to be in more of it, honestly. But Cut scene. Cut scene for okay. time. And I'm really upset, but he's like... Uh, when? Uh, y- yes, I'll do it. <laughs> they came to him and asked him if he wanted to be in the movie. And he's like, yes, when the Coen brothers come asking, you do the movie. Right. Well, it's, it's so weird for me. Dolph Lundgren keeps having these moments in mainstream films where you think it's going to save his career. But he keeps doing way too many direct-to-video movies for, like, pay. Uh, day pay. What do you want to call it? Yeah. Well, what that? Mm, I don't know what you... Uh, now, he's too much featured in the film for, for one of those... Uh, one day scenes. What are you talking about? He's too, he's the star of those movies instead no, of being no no no. I know uh, my buddy wrote Blackwater and he says he was only on set even though he's on the poster he's listed as a main character mm-hmm. he was on set for three days got a hundred thousand dollars a day and that's the way it is they'll shoot all oh. of his stuff in just a couple you know two to three days whatever. Except, like, you know, don't kill it. That's that's a lead for him or whatever. But a lot of this stuff, right. he just shows up for a few days. And that's the way action movies are made now, and that's why I can't stand them. You know, the, the, the lower-budget action movies. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. But I look, I mean, come on. How did, how did he appear in Creed Two and Aquaman in the same period of time? Both are big hits. He gives great performances. And then after that, nothing. Just garbage. Right. Because he's still just... Who, who gives a role to big German man with that kind of name. Oh, Schwarzenegger. Oh, gosh. There's only room for one! Uh, yeah, come on. He should have been getting better roles after Johnny Mnemonic, for Pete's sake. That's like gold performance. <laughs> I love his role in that. That movie's not the greatest. It's a mess, but he's I, I love the movie, but it's I know a terrible you do. movie. Huh? It's a bad movie. It's a yeah. bad movie. Oh, okay, okay. It. So we're, we're on that same page. The same thing for Universal Soldier. The older I get, the sillier that movie seems, but he's really good in it. Yeah. You're How'd we right. get here? <laughs> uh, Dolph Lundgren is the submarine captain. That's how we got Okay, here. there we go. And he has no face in the movie, and it really made me mad. I just wanted to see his face. He's a big, beautiful man. <laughs> beautiful might be going a little far, but okay. <laughs> the what? Dolph Lundgren? Hubba, hubba. Really? Have you seen Dark are you, Angel? Are you deco- oh, that was so long ago. <laughs> Dolph Lundgren isn't haggard and old now. I watched the. I watched. The what what, what I Dark love Angel about Dolph Lundgren though, good. Dolph Lundgren is one of the only guys out there that hasn't done anything to himself to make him. You know, like Stallone's got all the, the hair plugs mm. and plastic surgery. Uh, Schwarzenegger's now got the beard to cover up the wrinkles. Uh, Van Damme wears the glasses, whatever. To Mickey his, Rourke. I, is, I don't know uh, what's going on with his face. It looks like a baseball mitt. Um, yeah, uh, Seagal. I 
everything he can do to hide who he is. And Dolph Lundgren's like, <laughs> yeah, I just am who I am. There you go. And he works out. And Van Damme, he and Van Damme just work out. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Van Damme is really creased, very creased. Dolph Lundgren is actually, uh, he's aged well, actually. I think, well, it's it's so. it's nice that he's always been kind of like uh, a certain type of man. He never had the cuteness factor, I guess. Like, I guess you want to consider Van Damme like cute. Uh, that's this is a strange. This is strange. We're talking about this during Cohen Brothers. I know Dark that. Angel. He is charming and got to be a character and use charm and yeah, wit. yeah. And that's unseen. All Dolph right, so Lundgren. this just turned into the Dolph Lundgren so, hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but let's go back. Let's go back. It's Josh Brolin's role is really cool. He doesn't have to do a lot of uh, goofy work or a lot of. Uh, heavy, super heavy lifting. Right. Leave, leave that to um, uh, Ra- well, Ray he, Fiennes. He, he's and... a straight man, basically bouncing off the yes. wild characters. I, I yeah, love Josh it. Bowen. I've loved Josh Bowen uh, uh, in, in so much stuff. It's, I mean, I, I watch Goonies, but what I love him from is the Young Riders. And oh, he... I thought you were going to say Thrashing. Th- uh, no, I don't think that's a good movie. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, he's always a guy that has like these build-ups and breakdowns like he started to build up around like the time of like flirting with disaster and mimic and stuff like that but then it crashed he was on tv for a while then he got built back up with uh, no country for old men and he just kept having bomb 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 i mean, I mean jonah hex come on that should have been a, a hit uh you know like gangster squad i love and, and that bomb too he just and this movie bombed and if it wasn't for his uh thanos and uh deadpool 2 roles i really don't know where his career would be would he be back on television hmm I, did he do television? He did a TV show. Uh, well, he did. He's actually done like three or four TV shows, but because um, he did Private Eye um, in the eighties, uh, he did Winnetka. Win, I can't say the word Winnetka Road, which was like a Melrose kind of thing in the early nineties. Of course, he did Young Writers for three or four years. Uh, but he right. Did, but I mean later uh, in two thousand three, he did a TV show called Mister Sterling, where he was an independent congressman. Uh, fighting against both sides and it's a really good show and it only lasted 13 episodes but then he went back to doing movies okay yeah all right i always liked him as a kind of scuzzy best friend sort of thing like he like he was in in um mimic and and what's okay so you don't you don't now? like a night watch and so yeah you don't like him as like the hard lead right right he he's a he's a he plays those roles to excellence and the hard lead like here actually is really good uh because he gets to do some subtlety um and not be too like he does bash a guy over the face a couple of times type of thing but right. uh, so do he doesn't have like, to do so is this like the kind of way it was with alec baldwin where he's more interesting as characters than he was as a lead yes okay there you go yes that's it <laughs> That's all. We're done. No, that does kind of wrap up the episode, right? Is there anything else you want to say about any of these movies? No, um, Coen Brothers are always good. I've missed two of their movies, Inside Lewin Davis and A Serious Man, and the rest I've seen. I have no interest in watching Inside Lewin Davis. Not a topic that I'm interested in. Yeah, that's the thing is... what it is. uh, I saw A Serious Man because it was a free rental. I said, why not? And I finished it, and I go, yeah, I I don't remember a single thing of what I just watched. Okay. So what I understand about a serious man is that it's just uh, this uh, rewritten story of Job in the Bible. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and he curses God, and or his wife curses God and leaves him type of thing. I don't really know about it because I didn't see it, but knowing them, they would do it really well. But at the same time, I am not into meet the parent style anything wrong can go wrong oh it's not no it's not like that kind of movie at all but um it's more serious it's a it's did you see what is it suburbicon it kind of feels a little bit like a lighter version of that oh interesting Hmm. i like suburbicon okay but i do i absolutely adore their true grit i don't like john wayne at all um okay i had to suffer so many of those movies growing up um you didn't have to i like the war wagon I mm. like the war wagon. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, like. I think the one where he, I only like the ones where he dies. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I drew, I went to the theater and saw True Grit. I absolutely love it. And they give it a more raw, authentic feel. And I love the fact that as I walked out of the theater, <laughs> the old people that were there were like, oh, dear Lord, there's so much blood. <laughs> I was like, not that much blood, Oh, lady. wow. It's so oh. violent. 
that movie, the actors do not use uh, contractions. So they don't say don't. They say do not. I do not understand what you are talking about, my good sir. They do not. They don't say don't. I do not want your laugh. <laughs> they, right. 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 Or I cannot. I will not. Was well, that a Texas yeah, yeah. thing? Is that like a Southwest no, that, thing? that is a, a time thing. Oh, okay. A vernacular of the time. So, yeah. That was just a little footnote there. Yeah, uh, Coen Brothers. Dig their movies. Love mm. them to pieces. They are creme de la creme. Yes, of even when they frustrate me, like with Oh Brother, not Oh Brother, sorry, uh, Country for Old Men. <laughs> no, no, no. There's still no something of incredible value in No Country for Old Men. Even though I get frustrated at how they took out Josh Brolin and or how they ended with five minutes of Tommy Lee Jones yammering, uh, but it's still a very good movie. Yeah, Fargo I find to be a good movie, except uh, it came after all these other movies that had this very Sonnenfeld perfection. Right. And then God, that shows good. They said, and they said, no, we're not going to do any fun camera work. We're just going to be static and standard. And I was like, no. (laughs) So that always hurt me. But that's just preference and taste yeah now um this uh here's a break break of the bad news to folks or good news <laughs> maybe to some who hate me <laughs> um <laughs> chuckle nuts <laughs> we can't stand you too um i'm i'm going to be replaced by a man who's much shorter than me but he and is a newer model he is updated with new software his name is John Bjorling, and he and I go way, way back, even farther than you. Uh, so it's always funny seeing him and I together because it's giant and a not giant. Um, and, yeah, that we, was always fun. We've been slowly grooming him, I would say, because he did all those Godzilla and the Star Trek and James Bond And he episodes. was on my my show, uh, What Did We Just Watch? And, yeah, um, he, was, he was game for that, and I'm grateful for his work on that. In fact, I'll tell you, he saved an episode um, in that I was not very interested after we watched the movie. I was just, I was struggling. Yeah, well, he saved my bacon so many times. I usually don't struggle uh, in being able to talk about anything, but I was struggling to talk about Hellgate. And then he starts talking about Greek mythology, which was new life in this episode. I was like, whoa, 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 what, 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 you're saying what? Yeah, he's not have, a typical movie reviewer. He he sees things from a perspective that you don't particularly see in, in film. It's, it's a shorter perspective. Yeah, but <laughs> sorry, these are all jokes that I, I, I I'm pretty sure he's going to be okay. The with nice because... part is when you're that short, you don't have to reach very far down to kick you in the ball. Oh <laughs> uh, no, he just has to headbutt me. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, here's okay. Different story, a different guy, but the same height. Um, My friend, my friend Ron and I were walking down the street, bopping to the beat. It's true. And I looked down at him and I said, you're too short. And then I promptly got hit in the forehead by a tree branch. (laughs) And he said, you're too tall. You deserve (laughs) that too. Karma was giving you a little hit. It was amazing. Like I, I set up this joke. I'm the punchline of the joke, and then he finishes the joke off and says, you're too tall. Yes, so I'm not too sensitive about this stuff, and, and yeah, I think John's going to be able to handle it. Yeah, I mean, um, and everybody knows there's no animosity whatsoever. It's just no. we found ourselves, your project is so big, and it I've takes up so much illustrations time. all the time to do for Grumpire.com, and uh, we are trying to do monthly, but we can't most of the time because of life do a podcast called Grumpire Podcast. Yeah, um, I mean, what do we do this year? Four episodes? Five? Maybe? Uh, yeah, something like that. It's just, it got hard. I mean, last year we only yeah. got about, it just kept getting smaller every year. What did we, the first year I think we did like 25 episodes or something like that. And it it's ridiculous how how, how lengthy they were. Yeah. Was like The first episode was that stupid, I'm saying stupid because I brought this list and you were you should have just said no, do five of them. I don't know. <laughs> I just was being super nice and you could tell. You listen to the episodes now. I'm on the ropes. I'm like this. That's when I was working graveyard shift with no sleep yeah. or recording like at nine o'clock in the morning. I just want to go to I bed. I had this list of every horror movie that I ever liked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was the beginning. 
then the the follow up was like uh, nineteen movies at a time or something. Yeah, it was it was rough. And yeah, we just kept whittling down. It was what the eight, then six, and we just planted on four. That 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 it, happened yeah, that summer though. We, we decided, unless it's a franchise oh, discussion. Yeah, franchise always boom the bigger if it went longer. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah. and of course your your project's getting bigger, and as the show changes and expands. We wanted to go 10 years. We did. But it just found my... I mean, Video Night Beyond is still the show. It's just a, a thematic thing. It's going to be fantasy, sci-fi, uh, you know, some movies that are just beyond reality. You know, uh, yep. some of it may not have special effects or, you know, fantasy elements to it, but there's something quirky and weird about it that doesn't seem uh, in our reality. Yeah, I mentioned the movie uh, Fever. Would you put that in it? Yeah, totally. Okay, all right. There you go. Yeah, Fever's an Alex Winter movie. Everybody, I don't know. We okay. I did. I know I didn't mention yeah. that. But anyway, so John's gonna pick up where I left off. Right. You guys are gonna go beyond. Yes, and you're hopping in every once in a blue moon. There'll be a movie that I want, like Dune. We're gotta do Dune. Yes. I want to go on that journey with you. You know, and maybe we can do Naked Lunch, but you can't. You're just going to be coming and discussing like one movie, you know, like for 10, 15 yeah. minutes. We add it to the episode or something like that. But it's it was just too time consuming. I'm going to for... be a guest for one. Yeah. Woo! Yay! Back. Well, not not for us for second. Yeah. <laughs> because. But I mean that that's well, that's yeah. the path we're going now. We're not breaking up. We'll have reunion tours. <laughs> and we'll, we'll always argue on Twitter. Yes. Not really argue. No, we don't argue anymore. It's gone nope. away. I got banned from Twitter, by the way, for a little while. So uh-huh. <laughs> I'm a bad boy. <laughs> it's all the it's all those harmful wishes, Mister. Yes, I know. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, I, I'm gonna say it. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thank you for six years. Video night beyond sure. is our next thing. And then that's uh, you're gonna.